Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are previewing the Baylor game that's coming up. Assuming we actually have a Baylor game. Um, to help us do that, we have, coming back to the podcast for, I think this is the fifth time, Kendall Kaut from uh, our daily bears kendall how you doing today uh doing well andy always a pleasure to be on your show yeah it's uh it's, it's always great to have you it's actually it's nice to have another kansas city area guy um to, to talk about you know baylor because i you know as, as much as i'm sure you probably like the baylor area um you know i'm i'm not I, I know quite a few people that live down in texas but in general i i, I find that i uh have much better discussions with people that are kind of where i'm from so um so this particular game, it's going to be very interesting, obviously, because Baylor did not get to play the season opener uh, that they had against Louisiana State because Louisiana State had – oh, wait, I'm sorry, Louisiana Tech. <laughs> wow. Uh, not LSU. Louisiana Tech. They didn't get to play Louisiana Tech because of COVID spikes after the hurricane that they had. Then they didn't get to play what was going to be their opener against Houston because of COVID spikes in a particular position group from what I understand at Baylor. So my first question to you is, do you, do you have any details about that? Do you happen to know like what the position group was or what, whether that's been resolved at this point? It seems like they're planning on playing the game, but I haven't really gotten any kind of update on what we're looking at COVID-wise there. Sure. So my um, belief is that it was the offensive line at Baylor that had some uh, contact tracing issues. Mac Rhodes, the director of athletics, mentioned before uh, head coach Dave Aranda's press conference today that it I think he thought it was about a 50-50 balance between a couple positive tests and then the contact tracing issue came up where there was an athletic trainer that tested positive. Apparently, some of these players might have tested negative afterwards, but the Big 12's testing protocol recommendation guidelines are that you still honor a 14-day quarantine even if you test negative. The big takeaway from the uh, non-Houston game Baylor was scheduled for on Saturday is that Baylor could have still played but they felt like they were at a big risk of playing because they might've only had six or seven guys ready to go on the offensive line. So assumption that Mac Rhodes said today is he feels pretty good about the chance that Baylor can play on Saturday with where they are. So 
I'm holding out some hope in this era where it seems hopeless, but I'm feeling pretty good that we will finally have a Baylor football game on Saturday. Yeah, so I guess that answers my one question that I had about the, the Big 12 standards, um, you know, in terms of the, the the playing standards because of the COVID testing is, you know, there was some question when they did that, whether the requirements, you know, it was have seven offensive linemen available. Um, I believe it was f- at least four defensive linemen, or it might have been five defensive linemen. And then, of course, one quarterback. Um, like If those positional requirements were only for conference games or for the non-conference games too. From what you were talking about, it sounds like they probably had enough players at the position, but it was enough on the borderline that they were able to call it off because of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing really what it just is, is that they decided in, in their contact with Houston um, to kind of set whatever limits they, they felt were safe as opposed to what the big 12, because based on what you're saying and based off of the information that I was able to find, it sounds like theoretically if there was a big 12 game they were supposed to play last weekend, they would have had to play it or they would have had to forfeit. Um, and, and so it definitely makes you think, especially if they're available now after the, the, the contact tracing requirements of, of quarantine, that if they're able to play this weekend and it really is the offensive line, that was the position group. Um, then it, then it sounds like they're going to be in a similar sort of situation where they're going to be fairly short at that particular position group as well. Um, you know, obviously there's all kinds of other potential areas that we can talk about, but are you worried about them being short at whatever position group it is due to COVID and that potentially being an issue for them coming up this Saturday? Yes, I think it's certainly a potential, you know, wrench for Baylor the whole season. Oklahoma didn't have very many guys and they played Missouri State. Didn't matter because it was Missouri State. A little bit of a worry. Uh, Baylor's not released the names of the guys that aren't going to play. They just released a normal depth chart. So the possibility that it might be two or three starters and the offensive line in the Matt Rule era was the position group that struggled the most. So if you're looking at maybe how does KU spring the upset, that probably is part of how the upset could happen. Yeah, I mean, and really, I think that's what it's going to come down to. I actually uh, talked with, with Thor Nystrom earlier in the week. He, uh, uh, he's, he's over at Roto World for, for, for NBC Sports. And he said that one of the things that they've noticed is that, um, you know, when there is a discrepancy of spring practices, so one team getting, you know, five more spring practices than their opponent or more um, and or a discrepancy in terms of who started the season versus who hasn't, that it's been a very noticeable advantage to the team that's had the extra time. Um, and so obviously with, with Baylor not having played yet and Kansas having played their first game, even as bad as it went for them, um, you know, it, it, it seems like that is at least helping Kansas somewhat. Again, it may not be enough for Kansas to pull an upset because of it, but um, like, I'm assuming based off of kind of what we were chatting about a little bit earlier that, that you are worried about that fact that the Baylor has not played a game yet. And so we haven't gotten an opportunity really to see what this Baylor team does. Does that sound about correct? I I would have preferred that Baylor had played um, before the opening game. I, I am not, you know, catastrophically worried, but it is giving me a little bit of concern. Certainly Andy. Has there been any kind of indication about how well Dave Aranda and his system have been able to kind of get picked up by these guys? Uh, Cause I mean, they didn't have spring practice. You know, it seemed like they were somewhat limited in their in their uh, preseason camp and all of that. So, like, is there any worries that they either haven't been able to install what they need to or, you know, that it hasn't gone quite as well as they were hoping? I think that's one of those deals where anytime there's a coaching change, you hear about how the guys love the new system. The offense fits the players far better than the old one. No coaching <laughs> staff cares about their guys like the new one. The cliches abound cool. and getting truth is very difficult. So. Everything sounds good from the outside. If they lose the first game, you might start wondering what's happening. Even when Matt Rule took over, 
there were some questions about, well, was the offensive line that good? But we had no idea Baylor was going to lose to Liberty. So I just never know when there's a coaching change, what's real, what's fake. Sounds good, but uh, things have sounded pretty good in the past and then not turned out so well. So hard to really have any kind of faith in whatever you're hearing about with a new coaching change after your favorite team loses to Liberty. You have a hard time believing anything you hear. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, you know, when when we talked during the offseason, you know, that was kind of one of the things we were talking about with Baylor and Kansas supposed to be in week two. You know, Baylor bring all of this new system. And when we thought it was just, you know, not having spring practices with COVID, not to mention all of the, you know, additional weirdness that's gone on since then. Like there was there was some, I think, legitimate talk that Kansas could potentially pull this upset just because of everything new going on for Baylor. Um does does Kansas's performance in their first game against Coastal Carolina, where they were dealing with a lot of the same issues, you know, not having or having much less practice than Coastal Carolina did, you know, Coastal Carolina um, really, I mean, able to kind of surprise them that way. Like, is there is there any, um, I guess, reassurance from seeing what Kansas did, or do you think that that's not going to matter much? Uh, I feel pretty good about the Kansas game after seeing that first contest. Uh, did not look like Les Miles had really turned the corner to me watching him play Coastal Carolina. I don't think that's a powerhouse of the Sun Belt, though certainly the Sun Belt has dominated the Big 12, so maybe that speaks something else. But it did not seem to me, and Andy, you might disagree with me, but I did not, if I were a Kansas fan, feel like Les Miles had really inspired me that he was any different than the last few coaches Kansas has had watching their game against Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I speak for all Kansas fans, but I I know that I'm still willing to give him time to kind of see because of how deep the hole was. Um, you know, and the fact that, you know, the way that his recruiting has gone and everything, it definitely seems like he is more doing a slow build. There was really no expectations for them this year. Like, I honestly think that two or three wins would have been a successful season if we were playing a normal season. Um, and so like, it's one of those things that's hard. It's hard to really hold that against them, especially when you take a look, like this wasn't really publicized, but the fact is that Kansas had 39 players that were not available for that opening game against Coastal Carolina, including a couple of their better wide receivers. Um, they had a couple defensive linemen that they were missing. They had an offensive lineman they were missing. So they had some names that they were expecting to contribute that were missing because of that game. And not really sure if it's COVID related or if there was something else going on, but it was a lot more players than I wasn't, than I was expecting to not be available for that opener. Again, it doesn't excuse the, how flat they came out, but the fact that they were able to really do something in that second half means that, I don't know that I'm willing to completely give up on this team yet, but I'm also not expecting them to pull any huge upsets this year. You know, there's still an opportunity, I think, for them, depending on how good Texas Tech looks the rest of the year, um, you know, for them to potentially pull that one. But without having a, a, a basis to really know how good Baylor's going to be this year, uh, which I was hoping I would get to see with them against Houston, it's really hard to know how they're going to play in this game. But that, I think that's kind of what makes this game intriguing, is that we really don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, so has anything changed from what we had talked about in the off season in terms of the expectations for, you know, who the main contributors are going to be on offense or anything like that? I don't think there's a big change with that. I think that if there's one kind of qualm about Baylor's offense is that they, in the off season, haven't quite had the guy maybe step up to be Denzel Mims yet. I think Tyquan Thornton, who had a pretty good campaign last year, will be the guy who steps up for him. I think the running game will get a little bit more involved in the passing aspects of the offense. The Dave Aranda depth chart only had one or listed for starters, and that's between running back John Lovett and running back Tristan Ebner. So I think that duo will have quite a successful season. Ebner played pretty well in the Big 12 championship game last year against OU. So 
I think the offense has some pretty good skill guys. And I think as long as the offensive line's pretty good, which as we've mentioned is a question mark, I think this will be a pretty tough offense for Kansas. Yeah. I mean, with, with the Kansas defense, I don't know that I'm expecting any offense to really be, you know, too poor against the way the Kansas defense has been. Um, you know, Kansas does get some reinforcements uh, this week in Corian Harris, who's come back. He's now transitioning to safety, which should kind of help out a little bit there. He was one of their better uh, defensive backs the last couple years that they've had, but you know, there's a lot of holes on this Kansas defense. And uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would be too worried if I was any Kansas opponent about the ability that they're, that you're going to have the score. So it's just a matter of making sure that you don't allow Kansas to go blow for blow with you. But um, all right. I do want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about this game, kind of get into some more of the details about what we might expect. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. And we're back. Okay. So talking more specifically about this game, because I, I mean, we talked a little bit about the offense, but um, you know, whether this is something that you've seen in, in Kansas first game or something that you're you know kind of expecting here, um, you know, what, who is going to be one of the biggest, or I guess if we're looking at an X factor from one of these teams, who, who, which player do you think it can be from either side of the ball is going to be the most important in determining the outcome of the game on Saturday? Uh, I, I'll give one for offense and defense, and I think it probably comes down to Baylor just because I think they have more talent than the Jayhawks. So I think if Baylor plays kind of up to the level they should, they should be favored in this game. Uh, on offense, I think it comes down to Charlie Brewer. Can you make some throws downfield? If I'm Kansas, I'd probably stack the box and make him prove his arm strength really has improved. And then on the defensive side, Baylor's linebackers will have a little bit more prominent role in the Dave Aranda defense than they had in the defense under Matt Rule. Uh, Jalen Petrie didn't play much last season as he did the four-game redshirt rule. He should get a lot of playing time this year. So I think Jalen Petrie is kind of the guy to watch out for. Can he both stack the box up to make sure Puka Williams doesn't explode? And then can he drop back into coverage a little bit um, and provide some uh, help and coverage for Kalen Barnes and Baylor's corners and safeties? What What about the Baylor defensive line? I don't I don't remember how good they are or how much they have carrying over from last year. Um, you know, we, we saw Kansas biggest problem, I think on offense was just the fact that the offensive line wasn't really able to do much uh, in terms of stopping coastal Carolina from pushing them around. I don't, I don't really honestly know how strong Baylor's defensive line is expected to be this year. So is that an area that you're expecting to excel? Uh, it's a big question mark. So I think the best position group in the big 12 last year really was probably Baylor's defensive line. James Lynch was the big 12 defensive player of the year. Bravion Roy now gets quite a few snaps for the Carolina Panthers, and James Lockhart was an all-Big 12 performer. All three of those guys are gone. Baylor's defensive line was so good last season that Baylor only had to rush those three and then could drop um, eight guys back in passing coverage. They're probably going to have to have guys like Petrie. Um, and Dylan Doyle came over from Iowa when his father got fired after that controversy over his reign as the strength and conditioning coach. So looking at Baylor's defense, the defensive line is a bit of an issue. Given Kansas's offensive line struggles, the dual quarterback thing they had going on, I don't know if this is the week where that becomes a problem, but they are going to have to find ways to manufacture pressure when you don't have the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year around anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think that's probably going to be what determines the game because I don't doubt that Baylor's going to be able to score. Kansas will probably be able to stop them on a few drives, but I imagine that Baylor's probably going to score at least in the you know high 20s, low 30s in this game. The question is going to be whether Kansas can keep pace. And I think it really comes down to how much pressure can the defensive line get of Baylor on the Kansas offensive line. Um, you know, it seems like Kansas has kind of figured out who they're, or I don't know if they've actually figured out who their quarterback's going to be because they have yet to 
officially name him the, the quarterback, but, but um, you know, Miles Kendrick seemed to be the better quarterback for Kansas, and he seemed to be pretty good at kind of rolling out where he needed to and making those types of throws, but it's still going to be relying on the offensive line, giving him enough protection for him to make throws downfield. Um, I mean, is that really, is that really the key to the game is to make sure that Kansas can't like roll out and get the ball to those wide receivers so that you can focus a lot on Puka and Velton Gardner in the backfield? Or, or do you think that there's something else that this Baylor defense needs to be keying off on in order to try to stop the Kansas offense? I think it's probably just get Kansas off the field without long drives. I mean, it's a game to me where kind of the talent differential means that if this is a 12 or 14 possession game for Baylor, they should win. But if they're only seven or eight possessions because Kansas has a seven and a half minute scoring drive where three yard gain by Puka, Kendrick runs for four, five yard pass, and then it just takes forever for them to score, then I think Kansas has a lot better chance to win. But if this is a game where Baylor, like last year's uh, game, where in that first half it was just quick score, quick score, quick score, and then Kansas had to catch up immediately, I don't think Kansas can win that game. But I think they're in a lot better spot if it's a much narrower game possession wise. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think that really is what it comes down to for Kansas making sure that, you know, that that variance that comes in from low possession games um, doesn't really happen. Uh, you know, we see that for those of us that are in the Kansas City area, though, we, we see that with the Chiefs. The Chiefs want as many possessions as they possibly can because they can score so quickly. Um, and if you're going back and forth, even if the opponent is scoring all the time, eventually with your, how good your offense is, your defense is going to get a stop or two and allow you to do it. So, um, you know, it's one of those things I think Baylor has – the better offense overall. Um, but the question is going to be whether they can keep, you know, I, I guess really the, the question for me kind of on the other side of the ball is going to be um, how good Charlie Brewer can actually get away from pressure. Because Kansas has shown the ability to bring some pressure. And I, I do remember that Baylor kind of had some issues kind of here and there. And obviously if COVID's an issue for the offensive line in terms of depth, um, you know, and potentially starters, like, are you are you worried that that could potentially be an issue? Because Brewer seems to have had some injury problems in the past that's made him not quite so effective as he should be. Um, that's probably the biggest storyline for him coming into the year. So I guess how, how much of a concern is there that the offensive line isn't going to be able to hold up and that's going to damper what Brewer is able to do this season? I think that's a very fair criticism for kind of the long-term play. So I could see in week three or four, he gets a couple hits by then over the course of Big 12 play that maybe he's not as effective as he is early. But that's probably a good thing that you're getting Kansas in game one, given that Charlie Brewer may not hold up for a full season. You feel pretty confident, though, that even if he takes seven or eight hits on Saturday, he can hold up for one game. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure in terms of this particular game, though, that without having seen Baylor in action, I don't know how much more there actually is uh, in terms of what we can talk about this particular game. So I do want to kind of turn – more towards the Big 12 in general, because I think everyone can agree the Big 12 has looked absolutely horrible to start the year, with the exception of Texas, who played UTEP, who might as well be a low-end FCS team, um, you know, and then and then Oklahoma completely destroying Missouri State, who is a, a good FCS team, but an FCS team nonetheless against a team that probably should be in the playoff this year. Um, everyone else seemed to have a lot of problems or wasn't able to get on the field. Um you know, what are your thoughts on the Big 12 as a whole? Do you think this is going to be a problem for the Big 12 moving forward? Or is it kind of just the whole, you know, COVID weirdness? And, you know, will like, are you expecting a couple teams other than Texas and Oklahoma to really establish themselves in early Big 12 play and make us all forget about just how bad the non-conference was? 
No, I Andy, my take is that the Big 12, the league's a fraud, and that should be, I think, just said. It, it's a little bit of a hot take, but Iowa State, complete frauds. It's like they had a couple uh, special teams touchdowns they gave up, but Louisiana Lafayette didn't exactly inspire confidence needing overtime to beat Georgia State University. Oklahoma State, frauds. Tulsa is terrible. The Zach Smith-led offense in Philip Montgomery used to be at Baylor. It's not happening there. They would have fired Philip Montgomery if they had the money to buy him out by now. Horrendous game by Oklahoma State. Uh, you watch K-State. Looked like frauds against Arkansas State. There is not Texas Tech beats Houston Baptist by two points, and a two-point conversion goes their way to win that one. Maybe West Virginia is slightly better because they beat an FCS team, uh, but this is the worst Big 12 of my lifetime. The league should be completely embarrassed by their performance. My take is that I thought Baylor in a normal Big 12 season was probably the sixth or seventh best team in the league. I now think Baylor has no business being ranked lower than third in the league just because every other team has embarrassed themselves. If you're Iowa State, the Matt Campbell renaissance you were hearing about, that he's such a great coach, it's like you beat Oklahoma, you win eight games every year. I guess that's okay at Iowa State, but the league should be embarrassed about what they are. If you are Texas and you cannot win the Big 12 this year, you have to fire Tom Herman on the spot. There has never been an easier time to succeed in this league. It's just pathetic to look at this league. In the Big 12 in basketball, you look at it, you can say, well, Bruce Weber, Steve Prohm, I think is a very good coach at Iowa State. They have such challenges, though, because all these schools like Baylor, West Virginia, Texas Tech, compared to what level you would say their program is, they all have much better coaches in the quality of the program. In football, that's not the case. Other than Lincoln Riley, and maybe Dave Aranda fits that bill, and maybe you can say there are some new coaches in the other programs. There is nobody, though, you would make the argument, that's the best this program will ever do. And so if you're one of these football programs, you got to ask, why are we not better? And if you're Iowa State, that loss was embarrassing. It was horrible for the league. I don't want to hear a thing about Iowa State the rest of the season. Just utterly embarrassing for everybody, Andy. And that's why I have such hot takes, and I'm just so disappointed in the Big 12. I mean, I agree. I'm completely disappointed as well. I do think the, the Oklahoma State one is a little bit more understandable just because Spencer Sanders gets injured early in the first quarter, um, which completely just discombobulates the entire offense. So, like, I think they have somewhat of an excuse, or I guess I should say they have somewhat of a reason, you know, on top of all the COVID stuff for why they weren't nearly as sharp. And the fact they were still able to win the game at least avoids the horrible embarrassment. But it is going to have to turn around real quick if they want to actually compete in the Big 12. And I think it's also going to require Spencer Sanders to not really have any long-term lingering effects of that high ankle sprain that he suffered. Um, but you're right. Like, even without Sanders, they probably should have gone to the true freshman immediately rather than going to this junior college transfer that they had at quarterback who couldn't do absolutely anything. And so, like, that if, if you want to use that as an indictment for the coaching staff, recognizing who the talent is that they should be playing, like I, I would, I would definitely listen to that. I do think though that Oklahoma State at least has the ability, um, you know, to kind of slough that off and say, look, we've got an opportunity here to still be one of the better teams in the Big Twelve. But you know, they definitely, I still think they should have won that game by more than they did against Tulsa. But I can at least understand, you know, how quickly things can get derailed with an injury like that. Um, that you know, because I mean, honestly. You know, if, if if Charlie Brewer were to go down against Kansas, right, in the in the second drive, like the first play of the second drive, do you think that that would affect the ability of Baylor to do what they want to do for the rest of the game against a team like KU? If Baylor loses to Kansas because the backup quarterback is not successful, I will take every trolling I get from Kansas fans and all insults I would get 
for me, the Oklahoma State loss, this is where I guess I disagree a little bit with you, Andy, is not defensible, is because Tulsa is both so horrendous. And then if you have the offseason controversy that Oklahoma State had about your program being in disarray, you got to come out and just pound a bad Tulsa team. And to not do that, that starts making me think about your offensive line at Oklahoma State's already bad. And you had that huge issue about Mike Gundy wearing the OAN t-shirt and about how he's treated players he's coached and about whether he said the N-word back when he was playing in the 80s. You got all that going on and your program comes out flat as can be against a just horrendous Tulsa team. Uh, I think they were the second most disappointing team in the Big 12 um, after Iowa State. Iowa State's disappointment, I could not even measure how disappointing that program is. But after that, to me, Oklahoma State, almost unconscionable how poorly they looked. Yeah, I mean, at least they won, though. They were able to get it turned around, and they were able to, to put it away late. Um, I mean, so I again, it's one of those things like they have to turn around quickly and start playing really well early. You know, if they can, if they can handle West Virginia and really take care of that first game that they have in the Big 12, then I think it'll be a lot easier to kind of forgive what happened with Tulsa. But if they struggle or even lose that game against West Virginia, yeah, it'll be really easy to pile on to them at that point. I think that will say more about Oklahoma State than it will about West Virginia and how good they're going to be this year. So, um, all right. So, uh, let me see. I'm just, you know, I'm having trouble thinking of anything else basketball-wise to talk about at this point just because we haven't seen, again, we haven't seen Baylor play. And it's been so depressing to think about what the rest of the Big 12 has done. So did you have anything else football-wise you wanted to say? Or do, or do we want to take a quick break and come back and talk a little bit of basketball? Let's do that. All right. Then in that case, we will be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back. All right. So in our Baylor preview, we ran out of things to talk about football-wise. So we're going to transition over uh, to talk a little bit about basketball. Uh, it just seems appropriate that we should be talking about basketball already on a KU podcast. Um, after what happened against Coastal Carolina. So, um, you know, obviously I think the most, the most important news and to come out about college basketball this year is that they pushed back the start of conference play. Or I'm sorry, the start of, of the entire season to November 25th. Um, it means that a lot of the early season tournaments aren't going to happen, including a lot of the, the um, Thanksgiving tournaments because they would have started a few days prior to it. They may shift the schedule around to try to salvage some of them, or change locations or things like that. But right now it seems like most of the basketball schedule, at least non-conference is in disarray. Um, thoughts about what we can expect from this basketball season. Are, are you expecting to get in a full basketball season um, or are they going to have to like chop off a good portion of it? Uh, I, that's a good question, Andy. My take is that I don't feel confident that we'll play the full season, but I do feel extremely, extremely confident they'll play the NCAA tournament just because there's too much money to cancel it a second time whether they have to do a bubble, whether they have to push that back to May, I would say 99% chance, if there's not another thing, I, 99% chance if it is just, if COVID is the only reason, I think we will play basketball. If there's, you know, some mass event that happens, it's also bad given just society is terrible now. Maybe that stops it. But I feel very confident if civilized society still exists, we will play an NCAA tournament in 2021. <laughs> where do you come down on that, Andy? You know, I mean, I, I agree that we're definitely going to have the tournament. I mean, the... The NCAA has already talked about helping to facilitate, you know, even conferences playing in bubbles if they have to, or whatever they have to do in order to have that happen. They've talked about shipping everybody off to one single bubble and putting everybody up. Like they are willing to spend big bucks to make sure that this actually happens, no matter what it takes to actually do it. That's predicated though on the conferences having basketball seasons. And, you know, if, if it's one of those things where a lot of the smaller conferences can't get their buy games that they need to keep the athletic departments afloat, um, and actually play those, and they have to cancel those games, 
I could definitely see that happening where they then say, okay, well then, you know, these conferences aren't playing, so they don't have an auto bid anymore. We're still going to have our 68 teams. We'll just pull them from a smaller pool of teams. And they're, but they're still going to have a full tournament there. Um, so they will do whatever it takes to actually play. I do agree with you. It's going to, you know, th there's been a lot of talk about making maybe little mini pod tournaments uh, to, to kind of try to get as many non-conference games as possible. Um, you know, there's been talk about maybe limiting non-conference games to like eight games instead of the normal 12 to 14 that they have right now. Um, and trying to get like eight teams in a pod and trying to, you know, knock out six games or something in like a week long span. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely open to those sort of creative things. There's even been talk about, you know, like the champions classic that was, that was originally scheduled to be happening, uh, you know, in, in, in early October there. Um, you know, the, there was, there was talk about, I'm sorry, I don't even remember what the actual date that was scheduled now because it's already been pulled off of all the calendar. So, um, but whenever that was supposed to start, I, I believe it was early October, but I could be wrong. Um, you know, that was supposed to happen and that they've actually talked about taking those four teams, putting them in a mini pod and having everybody play around Robin and getting three non-conference games that way. So they've been talking about a whole lot of different possibilities. I could definitely see it happening. Um, but I do think that like right now, KU is planning on trying to play their normal non-conference schedule that is scheduled after the start date that's allowed. Um, so they're still talking to all those teams still trying to take some of those earlier teams and move them into that window if they're able to do it. So right now, I think it's a full go. Everybody's trying to get in a full non-conference schedule, even if, even if it has to be condensed. Um, I just don't know how realistic it's going to be that everybody's going to be able to get all the logistics of that to work, especially since, you know, we're probably going to have empty campuses after November. Um, so that should make it a little easier for teams to do that. Um, but it's also, I think, going to make it a little harder to kind of justify if nobody is on campus you know, keeping a whole bunch of athletes there uh, to get in a bunch of non-conference games when those non-conference games really aren't going to be required to actually have the NBE NCAA tournament. No, that all makes total sense to me, Andy, about kind of how it could all unfold. So I think your take much more reasonable there than trying to defend Oklahoma State. No one should defend their performance. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do another podcast with an Oklahoma State guy, so I, I maybe I'm a little biased that way, but um, no, when it, when it comes to basketball, um, you know, I'm definitely kind of like what you were talking about. I think the Big 12 is going to be absolutely phenomenal this year. It's going to be interesting to kind of see what they do. And I'm really curious how the Big 12 is actually going to handle their conference season. The plan right now, obviously, is to just do everything like normal, the travel back and forth. Um, you know, if, if it took them doing some sort of bubble to kind of get that going, um, it, it would be a fantastic event to be able to kind of watch a bunch of teams play back to back. Um, you know, and just kind of have like a full day of Big 12 games and back-to-back-to-back -back -back action. Um, I just, I think it's way too early to kind of figure out what that's going to look like right now. But regardless of how Big 12 basketball looks in terms of logistics of doing it, I can tell you it's going to be an absolute fantastic season for Big 12, assuming that we actually get it in. I would agree with that. I uh, mean, you look at the league top to bottom, it should just be a spectacular year. Yeah, so, so it is a little early still, though this is actually probably about the time that we would be starting to look at teams and kind of figuring out where we think people are going to be. So based off of what we know about these teams right now, you know, there's, there's talk that as many as five or six teams could be legitimate top 20 teams in the, in the nation this year from the Big 12. Um, how do you see the, the actual conference shaking out this year? Like, do you have a clear idea of what you think the, the finishing order is going to be? Or do you think it's going to be it's just complete jumble up top? Uh, I think it's pretty clear that 
TCU, K-State, Iowa State, and some permutation are 8, 9, 10. I think Oklahoma State's probably 7, even as good as Cade Cunningham could be, and then OU's probably 6. And then after that, you can make a good argument in the top 5. I think Texas is probably 5. West Virginia, um, I have 3. I have Texas Tech 4. And then I think Baylor's better than Kansas on paper. Obviously, Marcus Garrett had some really good games when Devontae Graham was out last season, played spectacular offensively against Oklahoma um, in Allen Fieldhouse where he was making triples. So if you feel really good about um, Marcus Garrett running the point, and if you feel pretty good about the guys they've got coming in to run the backcourt offensively, or if you think Ochai is going to have a big addition, I think that's a reason to feel pretty good about Kansas this season. I guess my kind of two issues with why I think Baylor should be favored over Kansas is Doak was so important to what they did. Clearly, Bill Self's a great offensive mind. We'll run a lot of that four-out offense this season. But whether David McCormick, Silvio, or Mitch can kind of be that five they need him to be to replace kind of the strength that Kansas was able to have down low is maybe an issue for me. And then whether Marcus Garrett's good enough offensively, given Baylor returns Jarrett Butler, Macy Oteague, Davion Mitchell, everything I'm hearing from the Baylor staff. I've talked to all the Baylor guys that entered the NBA draft or went through the process. Uh, they feel like Adam Flagler is actually better than Devontae Bandu was, and he was Big 12 sixth man of the year. And Tristan Clark, who had been a first-team um, All-Big 12 preseason selection last year, injured his knee, didn't play very well. I just think Baylor has so much talent on paper that they should win the league. And then the other thing that really kind of, to me, favors Baylor compared to most years is it doesn't seem that likely we're going to have full fans. Allen Fieldhouse isn't going to be rocking like it normally is. That's a huge advantage for Kansas that if that's gone, in much the same way we talk about Tom Herman needs to make it happen at Texas. This is the year that Baylor really feels like they can make it happen in basketball. Yeah. I mean, to your last point first, because I don't, I think, yes, it definitely helps Kansas when they're at home. Um, and it might, you know, it might kind of, kind of, I think it actually has a bigger effect on the team that's visiting as opposed to Kansas itself. Um, Kansas has consistently, though, been one of the best road teams in the Big 12 as well, which is why they've won as many titles as they have. And so I don't, I don't think that it's quite as important for them to have the raucous environment at Allen Fieldhouse as it is for them to be able to remain competitive on the road. You can have an argument as to whether they're feeding off of the negative energy that, you know, that is directed towards them at other locations, and if maybe fans will kind of take that edge off a little bit, um, or if they're just, you know, it doesn't really matter what the environment is like. Um, you know, the one thing I will say about Bill Self teams is that they really don't get flustered very often. Um, and usually if it happens, it's because of an injury in the middle of the game or just something, you know, going on. Like the, the, the only time I've ever actually seen a team be completely flustered without an injury was when, you know, when they played against Texas right after Thomas Robinson, you know, found out that he had family members that died. So like it takes something that kind of shakes the team for them to not play with the kind of poise that you're used to seeing a Bill Self team play with. That being said, I think talent-wise, Baylor is clear-cut the most talented team in the Big 12 this year. The one thing that I think is going against them is that, you know, there are a lot of experienced teams, um, and, and while Baylor is getting a lot of people back, there is still kind of some questions about how good Scott Drew is able to kind of put that together. I will, I, I will say I think that some of, the, some of the other coaches in the Big 12 are probably better tacticians. But I do think that Scott Drew is a good coach that doesn't necessarily give as much credit as he should. I think that they have the best combination of everything this year. And so I, I do think that they are they should be the favorites to win the conference. I personally, however, I don't know. I just I see something with this West Virginia team. I'm not really sure what it is. I honestly think and they're actually rated uh, if you look at Bart Torvik, at least the, the last I saw, they were actually rated as the number one team in the in the country 
coming well, I back. Think, I think actually, um, Andy, Texas it might have updated since the last thought. Or, or you know what? I think that's probably what it is. That it was Texas, and then. Uh, and then so, yeah, you're, actually, you're correct. Now it's he's. I don't know what he's done, but it's now West Virginia yeah. one, Texas two. I was to say you're right. So what? So West Virginia and then Texas. I mean, Baylor's down at five, and then Kansas is at nine. Um, you know, and then Texas Tech is at eleven. So I mean, they're all crowded up there. Uh, but I, you know, if I had to pick it now, that's actually probably the order that I would put it in. I put West Virginia one, Texas two, Baylor three. I can even see all three of those teams tying at the top of the Big Twelve. I think Kansas is just a step below, and that's only because of the pieces that they lost and the uncertainty surrounding the guys that are coming in. Um, you know, if you're if you had to pick a team that was going to, I guess, surprise from that group of five, including Texas Tech, I would have to say it would be Kansas because I think expectations should be lower for them this year. Um, you know, because of who they have coming back, but I, I also don't think that it's you know. Know, outside the realm of possibility that Kansas actually ends up fourth or fifth in the conference this year. So I think it's going to be a fantastic conference season. It's going to be a, probably the most entertaining ever. And like, this is the one year where not only is the big 12 super deep, but they are super top heavy at the same time, which seems like it's contradictory, but it's really not when you have, you know, five teams that are within the top 11, according to Torvik, <laughs> you know, and, and then, there's a decent drop off for the rest, but that's, I mean, that in of itself is, is the definition of depth and top heaviness at the exact same time. It's, it's absolutely weird and absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It should be one heck of a league. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. Any other final thoughts you want to leave us with about anything basketball related or any, honestly, anything at all. We, we love the weird here on the rock chalk podcast. So if there's any random thought you have that you wanted to share with us, it could be even about some weird sport. Um, or something else that's going on there. I guess my take will be whenever everything returns to normal, we need to make it socially acceptable that you don't have to wait to eat food when other people get food at the table. So Andy, if it's you, me and eight people at a dinner and I get my food first, it should not be making me a social pariah. If I eat the food first, much the same way for you. We all run the risk when we go out to eat anybody who get their food first, we should celebrate them. That must change. That is my hot take. I'm going to advance this take because Baylor football and Big 12 football may not advance the cause this year, but this cause can be advanced. I love it. That, you know, it's one of those things. I understand why it's not considered polite to do that, but I also, dude, if I'm hungry and my food comes, I'm going to like still kind of talk to people, but I'm not going to just let it sit there and get cold. I'm going to go ahead and eat it while it's hot. So no, I completely agree with you. Um, You know, if, I think it's more rude to tell someone that their food has to get cold because everybody else's food isn't there yet than it is for that person to start eating and enjoying it. As long as they're not like making a big show about how good it is and oh man, it's too bad you don't have your food. <laughs> like, you know, as, as long as they're not a complete dick about it, uh, then I think it's perfectly acceptable and it should be perfectly acceptable for them to go ahead and continue or to, to go ahead and eat and actually enjoy their food when it's, you know, hot and ready and there for them. So man, I, that was the, that was the uh, the hot take topic that I didn't know that I needed, but I'm very glad that you went there. So, thank you. All right, Kendall, where where can uh, everybody find your work online? Sure, uh, our daily bears, or they can follow me on Twitter. It's just my name, which is K E N D A L L K A U T, and check it out there. All right, sounds good. Um, so that'll do it for us tonight, Kendall. Th- thank you for joining me. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, please do, do go out wherever you get your podcasts, which Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other apps that are out there. You can search for Rock Chalk Podcast and subscribe to us there so you get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you haven't already, please give us a rating and review. Five stars, nice comments. I'd absolutely love it. 
Um, but you know, if, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can email me at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or contact me on Twitter at rockchalkpod. And because we're part of the Anchor Network now, you actually can leave us messages that we can use on the show. We can bring you onto the show so we can hear your voice directly. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. You can leave us a voicemail there. Um, so we can either react to it or even use it as part of our reactions. If this game happens on Saturday, I want to hear people's reactions to either KU scoring an absolutely phenomenal upset um, or just getting beat down into submission. Either way, I want to hear your reactions. I want to be able to, to bring those to the greater audience there. So, um, But that'll do it for us tonight. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for joining me, Kendall. And we will talk, catch you guys next time on the Rock Talk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.